All right, folks, uh, welcome to Call and Shots. I'm Seth Partnow. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, actually someone I've been aware of for a while and my, our first time actually conversing. I think we've probably exchanged emails or DMs or something several times over the years. But uh, from uh, PHNX, uh, Gerald uh, Bourget. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Gerald? Doing great, Seth. How about you? I'm doing all right. Um, I am. Um, I, I I hope I managed to not mangle your name, having just asked. <laughs> um, no, you you got it. You know what's I, funny I, I, is people people always ask me how to pronounce it, and then I tell them, and then by the time the show starts, they like forget all over again. But you got it right, so you yeah, did okay. well. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, at least I didn't put a, the hard T on there. That's that's the one thing I needed to avoid. Anyway, um, Phoenix Suns, uh, for as good as they've been. It's, I don't want to play the nobody believes in, nobody talks about, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember a mid-60s win team that has been as unremarked upon as as this Phoenix team. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a point of consternation out here in the desert because they're just not as attractive as a normal title contender would be. You know, I, I don't think Devin Booker is the MVP this season, but like just for an example, if there, if the Warriors were like at 62 wins and Curry was putting up a 27-6-5 stat line, he'd probably be getting a little bit more MVP love than Devin Booker's getting right now. And it, it just feels like a team that is on a mission. You know, there's been a lot of those comparisons to that 2014 Spurs team that lost in the finals in heartbreaking fashion, came back and just rolled over the rest of the league. Um, so I, I think the Suns are, are kind of on that same type of warpath. And they are a team that definitely loves to have some of that bulletin board material of, you know, being the team that nobody, you know, they don't believe in us. They don't see us as the favorites. They don't give us our proper respect. That type of thing really fuels them. Um, and it, it's interesting to watch that kind of thing unfold because Phoenix is kind of a, it's a big city, but it's never seen as like a major market for whatever reason. Sure. Um I mean, I think uh, from the Booker standpoint, I think some of the, part of the thing that that hurts him is that they've the, the Suns have sort of been without like key pieces, you know, at many different times this year, and it kind of hasn't mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris Paul was out until recently since the All Star break. We were wondering if that was going to take a chunk out of them. Uh, DeAndre Ayton missed a bunch of time, and all of a sudden, Bismack Biombo is a uh, is a, a credible NBA player again. Um, you know, when, when Booker is missed, it, it, so it's, it's almost like it's hard to say any one player is the most valuable when the team just kind of smashes regardless of who, of who they put on the floor. Right, and that's, that's absolutely kind of the biggest knock on, on Booker and Chris Paul because earlier in the year, Chris Paul was like the main MVP candidate for the Suns, and then that kind of flipped, especially when you know, he missed the five weeks with the thumb fracture. Um, and, and that's that kind of ties in because uh, you, you say, you know, okay, they're, they're they're kind of a machine. Like, they have all this depth. They, you know, can sustain all these injuries and keep rolling at this 80% win pace. But then when you shift to, like, coach of the year talk, Monty is up there, but he's not like the consensus favorite to some people. And I get like no disrespect to Taylor Jenkins or JB Bickerstaff or anybody else, Ime Odoka. Like there are a lot of good coaches of the year candidates this year, but it, it just, it feels like the goalposts keep moving for this team just because they've been almost too good. Like it, it feels like people are just kind of bored with them. And I'm not, 
I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe that's just I'm too close to the material. But um, th- this team just continues to churn out wins. And they have guys that could be candidates for certain awards, but none of them are really kind of seen as, as the favorite when you, when you boil it down to awards talk. Sure, we can. I mean, we can add uh, Mikhail Bridges, who's got some sort of. Um, in, I guess I've, I've even mentioned him as like on the fringes of the uh, defensive player of the year debate. But I think if it's going to be a, it's usually, it's almost always a center, and if it's going to be a perimeter guy, like the consensus seems to be that it's Marcus Smart, um, because the Celtics are the best defense in the league. Except you look, and then Phoenix is the second best defense in the league and the second best offense in the league, and it's. it's you know, just just looking at their at their kind of statistical resume, it's just the the uh, the regularity of oh they're second in this, oh they're fourth in that, oh they're third. Like what the only thing that they it seems like they don't do well is rebound. Yeah, and that's that's kind of been the uh, Achilles' heel that's been rearing its head over these last couple of weeks because you know the last two games in particular. You look at the scoreboard and you see Phoenix gets blown out by 21 to the Thunders like C team. They lost to the Grizzlies, who, to be fair, have been rolling all year long when they don't have John Morant. But even that game, they rested like four or five key guys. Um, and, and in both of those games, I think they gave up 16 offensive boards for 30 second chance points against Memphis and then another 12 offensive rebounds to the Thunder. So it is something that's come up. In, in the Thunder game, they were resting guys as well, Phoenix was, but... It's something that has popped up at kind of the worst times, and especially, you know, go back to the finals last year, the Milwaukee Bucks absolutely slaughtered them in that series on the offensive glass. Um, they had, You know, Milwaukee is atypical. That team had a ton of size between Giannis and Lopez and, and Bobby Portis, all the guys that they had, but it is something that's come up a lot for this Suns team. Um, you know, they don't rank very well in defensive rebounding percentage even though they're uh, you know if you just look at rebounds per game they're up there um so that is definitely something that you're gonna have to worry about in a potential playoff series with this team it's probably one of their biggest weaknesses um they're, they're a team that rarely beats themselves but if there was one thing that you could exploit with the phoenix suns you know they're starting jay crowder at the four they have a lot of rangy wings but they're not the best rebounders so that's definitely something if you're a team that crashes the glass you could put Phoenix's elite half-court defense in a bit of a bind when you create those second-chance opportunities. At the same time, I do feel like that they have largely addressed what was the glaring weakness in that Milwaukee series, which was, um, it's not like DeAndre Ayton like, had a field day against Giannis, but they just had, they had no hope against, against the box or against size uh, when they had to play someone else at the five. And this year, they seem to you know, that's a, a tiny weakness, and they seem to have addressed that uh, pretty well between JaVale McGee and and and, uh, and 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 the aforementioned Bismack Biombo. Yeah, no, that was that was key for their offseason, especially with Dario going down and, and being out for the season. Um, you know, he was a great backup five last year as far as providing them with a different look, kind of a small ball five who can move the ball from side to side um, and, and play make a little bit. But in terms of just sheer size and length and rim protection, um, being an alley-oop threat, he wasn't quite any of those things. So to be able to go into the offseason, get JaVale McGee, and then add Bismack Biombo um, midseason, those were huge pickups just in terms of 
kind of coherence because, you know, DeAndre Ayton, he's a, a strong screen setter, a dynamic rim roller. He's a guy that you look for in the pick and roll, diving to the rim, and, and the gravity that he has opens up a lot of things on the, on the second side for the Suns. So when you're able to take DA out and put a guy like McGee in who can do a lot of those same things, um, it, it just allows for a lot more cohesion between that first unit and that second unit in terms of what you're able to run, um, you know, personnel, you're able to swap guys in and out because you're doing a lot of the same things. So that's been really helpful for this team. And, and just, you know, if they were to meet the Bucks down the road or another team with elite big guys and a lot of size, having those guys on the back line is really going to help in the event that, you know, there's an injury or DAs in foul trouble or whatever the case might be. Is there any worry that because the, and especially at the five and they don't really roster a traditional four, Mm -hmm. um, is there any worry that even though they can play the way they want to play with Aiton either out or off the floor, but they don't, is to me it seems like the playoffs are often about versatility, mm-hmm. and if that might be, and maybe in the case of Phoenix, just like well we're versatile and we're just good and deal with it. And Aiton himself is versatile enough to compete with different styles, but it doesn't seem like if, if something about the system breaks down, do they have a plan B, or is is the plan A just so you know has has it been so foolproof <laughs> this year that. We don't even know what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think going back to last year, you look at the way that defense is honed in on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like they were, especially in that final series, they were the offense. And when those two avenues kind of dried up because Drew Holiday is a phenomenal defender and the Bucks were, you know, very stingy with their defense in that playoff run, um, I, I think this year they're much more well prepared to have other options that can hurt you. And that and that's the thing about this Suns team. You know, they're not it's not like Devin Booker or Chris Paul are having drastically better seasons than they were last year. It's that they have so many other options that can beat you now. Like they're the number 2 defense as well in addition to being the number 2 offense. DeAndre Ayton has become a mid-range sniper like <laughs> his numbers since the all-star break from the mid-range are absurd for anybody, let alone a seven-footer. Um, and, and he has that kind of hook shot that's just absolutely unstoppable when he gets it in his spot. Mikhail Bridges being able to attack off the dribble more consistently and pull up for that mid-range shot. It's kind of funny how many guys on this team have taken after Chris Paul and Devin Booker and being able to get to that mid-range and knock it down at a pretty elite clip compared to the rest of the league. Um, I, I just feel like you know, this team has had a lot of games where the three ball hasn't been falling for them, where their defense hasn't been up to its usual standard. Um, and they just continue to find different ways to win. They're never, they're a team that rarely ever panics. They don't, you know, I think they're still 46 and zero when they're leading after three quarters, which is absurd for a team that just knows how to maintain a lead. Um, so it's not to say that they're invincible, but they just continue to find ways to win. They know that they've been in a lot of these situations before and they just seem so comfortable. It's why their record in the clutch is I think the third best record since NBA.com started tracking clutch statistics um, back in the nine, I think 98 season. So 
this is just a team that continues to flow, continues to groove, continues to do its thing, even when you take certain things away. And I think when defenses try to blitz those pick and rolls like they did with, with Paul and Booker last year, they're going to be in for a rude awakening because guys like McHale, DA, and Cam Johnson too can really make you pay for that. Um, there's just so many different counters that they have compared to last year, I feel like. And, you know, they're again, they're not invincible, but it is interesting that they're not talked about as more of a kind of consensus favorite compared to everybody else. It, I mean, let's talk about the, the, the clutch play a little bit because normally a team that is as good – you know, even over and above, uh, you know, their, their normal, uh, their, their non-clutch play, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the team that, that performs that much better. Uh, normally, you would say, well, that's a team that maybe got a little fortunate to outperform point differential and win a lot of coin flips, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's, it's being, you know, prisoner of the moment a little bit, but it does feel there's a little more something to it than just they've made shots and the opponent hasn't. Um, I think that the, the way you describe it is, is, is to my observation is right. It's like, you know, a lot of teams is like, they're like, Oh, we're in, in crunch time. Now we're going to do crunch time things. And Phoenix <laughs> just kind of keeps playing basketball. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot. I, I think last year there was a feeling out process, right? When you add a guy like Chris Paul to a guy like Devin Booker, who, up to that point in his career, aside from one year with Ricky Rubio, was usually the Suns' best point guard. Like, no offense to Isaiah Cannon, but like he was having to create everything. So there was that feeling out process where you bring this ball-dominant guy in to make his job easier. And I think that showed a lot, especially in crunch time early on. There was a, a sense of not wanting to step on guys' toes and get in each other's way. And I think now that they're a lot more comfortable with each other and have found that groove... They're just like, they know what they need to do. They know the spots that they want to get to. And people have been trying to stop Chris Paul from getting to that damn spot for years. (laughs) They still can't do it. It's kind of remarkable. He can still do this at age 36. But aside from just his ability to create, they don't resort to ISOs that often. Like they continue to run stuff because they have guys that are all shooting ridiculous percentages in the clutch. Like Mikhail Bridges you wouldn't talk about him very much, but he's 17 for 28 in the clutch. That's about 61%. And he has the second highest point differential in crunch time situations, second to Chris Paul, just ahead of Devin Booker, who is just ahead of Jay Crowder. Like they, they all have guys that know how to execute and their defense just locks in too. Like it's not just offensive execution and, and being able to continue to run different sets. It's their defense that will really hone in on you. They're, they're second in defensive rating in the clutch um, at about 99 points per 100 possessions. And they just, I, I really do think they are fueled by what happened last year. You know, to go up 2-0 in that series and then lose four straight games, which they hadn't done all season long, that sticks with you, especially when you're a young team that pretty much brought everybody back. And they even went and got Tory Craig back at the trade deadline. So, you know, chemistry, cohesion, that's all on their side, but this is a team that's kind of out for revenge after what happened last year. And, and in the clutch, they act like it. You're, you're giving me flashbacks of uh, <laughs> up to zero in a playoff series and losing four straight when you haven't all year. Um, I don't know where I've 
felt that before. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Uh, thank you, Fred Van Vliet. It was awesome, really. Um, so one of the things that a feature of that series, and, and this is by no means unique to Devin Booker, mm-hmm. but uh, sort of the way we almost discuss those, that those style of play is like it's a single player's got to step up and make big plays and you know play hero ball. Mm-hmm. And it did seem to me that because the Bucks were so reticent to ever bring help on Booker last year, that they almost baited him into um, going ice a little more. And, and, you know, he can get to mid-range shots and get a good shot. But if he's never drawing help in those spots and he's not getting to the rim and he's not drawing fouls, um, which, you know, are, which frankly are things that, that in the half court are probably – I don't know if you're going to say weaknesses, but not strengths of his. Mm. Um, it, it did seem like the Bucks kind of bogged Phoenix's offense down a little bit. Um, I don't know if they, they baited that intentionally or that's just sort of where where Booker went. But am I am I misremembering that? Because that was my strong impression, you know, contemporaneously was that, like, he's trying to do too much right now. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I actually had a – a long podcast with Matt Moore of Action Network at the time because he was pretty vocal on Twitter about that kind of style of play. It was, it was games four and five, I think, that you're referring to where, you know, Booker had 42 in game four, they lost. Booker had 40 in game five, they lost. Um, and there were stretches, I think, in, in the third quarter of game five in particular where he was just taking pretty much every shot. Um, and I think in that game, they rode his kind of hot hand a little bit too long because he was gassed by the time that quarter was over. He missed his last three or four shots. And in a final series, that can make all the difference. But my point to him was this, like in those games, if you go back and watch those games, especially game five, like the Suns were up double digits in that first quarter. At the end of the first quarter, it felt like, okay, they're going to win game five. They're not going to lose three in a row, which they've only done once this year. They're going to go back to Milwaukee and probably close this out there. And then they had a six-minute stretch where Devin Booker got his rest and Chris Paul was leading that second unit and everything fell apart and suddenly it's a tie game. So, I, I mean, I, I know that you look at the the shot volume, you look at just the way that the offense was running and it was very um, Devin Booker-oriented. It was one-dimensional but he was scoring on a lot of those possessions. Like in those games, he shot 61% and 52% dropped 40 points. And I think, I don't want to say that it ties into this reputation that he's had for a long time of being that empty calorie scorer. You know, the guy who puts up big numbers on, on losing teams. Um, I, I think that's a reputation that is unfair and he's worked hard to shed, but there weren't a lot of options for Phoenix in that series. Like Mikhail Bridges kind of disappeared and, and just got outclassed by Chris Middleton on both ends. DeAndre Ayton, like he struggled with foul trouble and he wasn't his usual efficient self in that series. He said a lot this year, like I regret the way that I played in that series. And, and he's kind of made it his credo to make amends for that. Um, you know, Cam Johnson was like their third option at one point. And, you know, he had a great postseason run, don't get me wrong, but they were kind of expecting a little bit more help, I think. And so, yes, Booker was, you know, that just going straight to him every time was, you know, reminiscent of what the Suns offense used to be back before he had a lot of help. 
But I do think this team in particular has evolved a lot since then. Um, Cause like I said, they have just so many different weapons now to where if you key in on Booker and Paul, okay, you know, you're going to have to pick your poison somewhere. Somebody's going to hurt you at some point. So part of the reason why it was so notable to me, and I was someone who early in, in Booker's career did, did, uh, did, did have the opinion of him as, as somewhat of an empty galleries kind of player. Mm. Um, but I think over the last couple of years, he's, he's done a lot. It's been like basically once, um, you know, and maybe this is too facile, but once they're kind of got other, the other professionals on the team, Kind of uh, the 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 1920 season with Ricky Rubio and and Aaron Baines in particular. Once mm. the, it really started to change, and so that's why it was so notable in that series. Is it was it was almost I don't want to say out of character, but it was it was is discontinuous with the way he had been. You know, he had he had found the right balance between getting his own and 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 making sure that guys like you know more dependent scores like Mikhail Bridges, like DeAndre Ayton, like Cam Johnson, like whoever else, like making sure they were involved also. I, I think mm-hmm. this is something that, that you know, can sort of happen. Is Even if a guy is scoring reasonably efficiently, if he's kind of breaking out of the offense to do it, everyone else is kind of, it, it, it's sort of, it's hidden because, oh, he shot like, he shot 23. Yeah, well, what could he, what could he have done more? It's like, well, yeah, but these other guys didn't get their shots because you know he was he was he was just being efficient on his own, kind of outside of everything, and so that. Yeah, and, and I think that's fair because you look at just the way the offense was run; like their passes were down in those couple of games, their assists were down, and that wasn't what got the Suns to that point. So you're you're definitely right; the ball stuck more, but it also stuck with Chris Paul a little bit, and it just looking back it was interesting that Booker was getting more attention. I don't want to say blame, but more attention for that stretch when, you know, Paul was playing through, um, I think a wrist injury at that point in time uh, that he needed off season surgery for. But it was interesting that, that Booker was getting most of the blame when he had those, you know, 40 point games on decent efficiency, the ball still stuck with Paul, but he wasn't, you know, going out and having those type of performances. It it was unfortunate to see it kind of revert back to the guy who, you know, I don't want to say doesn't trust his teammates, but feels the need to do everything himself because that was part of the knock on Booker for a while, even though he was playing with like G League guys. So I, I'm I do feel like at times that can happen with Book, but I just don't I don't see it happening this year just because of the leaps that those three younger guys have made um, just because they're even deeper than they were last year. Um, They're just playing with a different type of swagger this season. And and maybe I'm wrong, you know, playoffs, they test you in pretty much every way possible. They try to make you bring out the worst in yourself. Um, So it could happen, but I, I just don't see it just because of the way that this team has found incredible success all season long. I mean, I, I don't view it as a permanent thing. I think that, that there is, you know, it is a cliche at this point, but having kind of lived through the other side of it, like there is, there's a learning aspect to it. Like sure. you get to, you get to a certain point and it's just like, you know, I don't think it was, I don't think, you know, the, I like, I, I think it was a, a poor choice in how to play on his part, but not out of malice, out of trying to do too much. And I think that he like going through that, 
you you learn better. You get those reps. I mean, there's a there's a reason why teams tend to be sort of stepwise in their progression. Um, I, this is not something that I believed in until I sort of like I experienced it on the oh wait we got to this point in the playoffs and like this is different now. And having not been there before, it's it you, you, it's hard to it's hard to fully. You know, all well, the TNT studio is here, and, and yeah. you know, and 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 this team that we're playing against is like has literally stripped everything out of their, you know, like with this, I'm, I'm again thinking back to the twenty the, the twenty nineteen conference final against Toronto. Like they had been, you know, that basically that team, and you know, with or without Kawhi, and Kawhi had himself had been to that that spot and come up short so many times that they like knew what that spot was and we were like well this is neat <laughs> like we you know we didn't and we weren't like we weren't just happy to be there but we didn't really we didn't know how to be there yet and right. i think you know the, the suns took such a leap so fast that it, I, it, I guess it's not terribly surprising that they got to a point where it's just like we have no experience of this before what do we do yeah <laughs> yeah it's like I said, like just watching the way that this team performs in the clutch, watching the way that they take on primetime matchups, you know, they relish playing the elite teams and they always seem to rise to the occasion. Like even a couple months ago, they were playing without Booker and Chris Paul and they nearly beat the Bucks on the road. It was a close game that they had a lead for, for most of the game and, and fell short, but um, they're, they're just, it's just a different animal for this group. And I think, you know, Devin Booker, like in the clutch, will still take an occasional tough shot or two. Um, and that's something that could get them into trouble if, you know, he's just off. But I, I tend to go with the guy who's made 28 of those 50 shots in crunch time. Uh, it, it just seems like a lot more of his offense comes within the flow. And, and credit to Monty because he's made a point of publicly acknowledging that multiple times throughout the season. I don't know if that's intentional because he's aware of some of the things we're talking about but uh you know he always brings up how you know yes booker has you know these fiery first quarters where he comes out and drops 15 to 20 in the first quarter or yes he'll take over in a third quarter or fourth quarter stretch but it usually comes within the flow of what they're doing and the ball's still moving so i think that's one thing that can help mitigate against that type of thing happening again in a, in a playoff series Okay, so we've been talking for about half an hour, and we're both agreeing how awesome the Suns are. Sure. <laughs> um, why won't they win the title this year? Yeah, I, I think if they don't, why? Why? It, like, you know, send yourself to three and a half months from now or whatever. It's about sure. three, that's about right. Yeah, three. Send, send yourself forward in time three months, and the Suns, and we're you know we're, we've just had the draft and we're starting free agency and. The Suns are wondering what happened. So what happened? Why didn't they win? Yeah, so I think it could be a number of things if this team comes up short, which, again, I, I've got to state for the record, I would be very surprised if anyone beats this team four times in a, in a seven-game stretch. But I also said that last year. So I think the biggest thing for me is offensive rebounding and three-point shooting. The Suns are the NBA's number one three-point defense, but if you look at their you know, 16 losses on the season, a lot of times it's just been one of those nights where the other team goes off. So you have to drastically outshoot the Suns from three-point range to beat them. You have to hit the offensive boards hard. You have to hope that they have one of those games where they turn the ball over. 
Um, and those are kind of the biggest things that I see. Like you, you have to beat them up with size um, or you have to have kind of one of those all wing lineups and hope that you can force Monty's hand into going small because when the Suns go small, they have a lot of rangy wings. Obviously, they have you know Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Torrey Craig. Um, but when they have Craig at the five, they're going to get beat up on the glass even more than they already were without him there. So that's a big thing. you got to make sure that you're switching DA out onto the perimeter as much as you can so that you can have those size advantages when the shot goes up in hitting the glass. Um, the, the biggest thing that I think is... There are two teams that stand out to me, right? Like the Clippers and the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Clippers seem like a random one, but we don't know what Kawhi's plan to return is yet. And there's a lot of variance there. Like if they get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard back and the Clippers are the eight seed, that's like the worst possible scenario if you're the Suns because Ty Lu is a phenomenal coach. They've given the Suns fits just with all of the shooting and the wing depth that they have. And if you add Kawhi Leonard and Paul George into the mix, I still think the Suns win that series, but that's a brutal first-round matchup for a team that should be getting some type of advantage. Um, and then I look at the Bucks; Like, they are, you know, there's just kind of that cloud hanging over the Suns' heads, and I'm sure they would love to go up against the Bucks in the finals if they make it that far. But that is a team that, again, can beat you with with size. And as good as DeAndre Ayton has played against Giannis, he's still Giannis. Like, he's still going to go off. He's still going to get his. And both Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday have been major problems in the fourth quarter for Phoenix. Like, that game that I was talking about where the Suns went into Milwaukee shorthanded and almost won, you know, Drew Holiday scored double digits in the fourth quarter. Chris Middleton dropped, I think, 40-plus, like, they just struggle with those two guys. So I think it's, I don't want it to be a cop out here, but I really do think to beat the Suns, you just have to be the better team four times. And that has been really hard for pretty much anyone in the NBA to do because this team rarely beats itself. And I think I saw someone say on Twitter that to beat the Suns, you have to beat them multiple times throughout the game, which feels true because they just don't really go away. They don't die and they don't seem to get bothered even if they're down by, you know, double figures or whatever it might be. Um, so I, I think those are the two teams that would probably jump out. Obviously, the Warriors are up there too, but I, I have a hard time seeing it unless you just have a lights-out shooting series and attack the offensive glass. I mean, I do you have any concern at all about if they get their guys back Denver? Or is that because I, I feel like a lot is made of how kind of easily they dispatched Denver last year, <laughs> right. and that's a, that's a, you know I, I you know Denver coming off of a pretty pretty taxing first round series against Portland last year. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, you know, yes, uh, Chris Chris Paul and Devin Booker had a field day because the opposing backcourt was Facundo Campazzo and Austin Rivers. <laughs> Right, and so I just I, you know, Nikola Jokic has is on the very short list of best players on the planet, and, um, you know, get past Aiton, and and what do I I you know for as good as as McGee and Biombo have been for them, I don't think that matters. I think in particular like McGee's jumpiness, yeah, 
<laughs> portends poorly against a player as as sort of clever and versatile and, and slithery as as Jokic. Yeah, no, I, look, I don't want to be dismissive of the season that Jokic has had or of what the Nuggets have been able to do without you know two of their top three offensive weapons this season. It's been pretty remarkable. The Denver matchup doesn't scare me, even with Jamal Murray or and or Michael Porter Jr. back out there. Um, the biggest reason is there's one guy in the NBA that consistently plays Jokic well and makes him work for everything that he gets. And, and Jokic will still put up, you know, pretty impressive stat lines against him. But DeAndre Ayton goes toe-to-toe with him every time. And the biggest thing in that Nuggets series was not just, you know, the guard advantage that the Suns had, but DA played him relatively even in that series. And I know that sounds like a crazy statement, but if you go back and look at how, you know, relatively inefficient Jokic was in that series compared to what he normally does, that was the reason that that turned into a sweep. And Michael Porter Jr. is a phenomenal offensive talent, but they were bullying him with how often they targeted him on defense because his defense was rough in that series. (laughs) Like Chris Paul had like a personal vendetta against that guy to target him every time down the floor. And the Suns pretty much scored every time they did it. Um, I I think Jamal Murray has been a Suns killer in the past. He seems to go off against the Suns every time. But I just don't know how they reintegrate two major pieces of their offense back in that quickly, you know, right before the playoffs and knock off a team that's kind of had all season long to gel. I, I I don't think it'd be a cakewalk by any means. It'd be a much more difficult series than last year's Nuggets matchup. But I, I just don't. I'm not worried about that one as much for whatever reason. No, that's the, 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 that all makes sense. I do. I like, I think that, that the, the addition of Murray, not so much, not just his own scoring, but I think that the, you know, you're talking about a guy who can sort of square up to Jokic and, and defend him. Um, I think that becomes somewhat of a different thing. If all of a sudden it's, it's happening sort of not just Jokic, you know, gets the ball at the pinch post, faces up, pump fake back down <laughs> right. dribble if he's actually catching the ball on the move or playing out of pick and roll or they can actually run like their dho game with a with a you know a credible shooter like murray i think that that putting eight in those, some of those more of those positions might change that equation a little bit but i but i take your point like that is like you know you we're not i don't think we're snapping our finger fingers and bubble jamal murray is going to show up um or if he does then um good luck everybody else but, yeah. <laughs> right um so is that, I mean, out west, um, you know, we can talk about we can talk about Memphis. You can talk about Dallas. Mm-hmm. Either of those teams give you any pause at all? I think you know, from from my standpoint, um, it's they're almost two. They're almost opposite teams in that Memphis's biggest strength is is like kind of their depth. They're almost a mini Suns in that way, um, but that that sort of loses value in a postseason setting, and then. Dallas is, is, you know, again, similar to, to uh, Jokic. Yeah, uh, we got best player on the floor potential here. Um, but I wonder if they have enough aside from, from Luka. And Phoenix has a lot of guys who can credibly match up against them. Yeah, I think Dallas is actually kind of a best-case scenario if you're the Suns in, in terms of what you're, who you're Both hoping. Both material. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I hate to give it to anybody, but yeah. um, I, I do think, you know, you look at their record since DA and Luca have entered the league. And obviously both of these teams have changed a lot over those three years or whatever it's been, but it's been heavily in Phoenix's favor. And I think, you know, you look at the Luca matchups in particular, Mikhail Bridges is one of the guys that can give him trouble. You know, Luca's still going to get his, he's still going to put up big numbers like we've talked about with DA and Jokic, but I don't know that the Mavericks have enough to make that series interesting outside of Luca. Maybe Luca just goes out there and he's the best player on the floor by far. And a lot of times that's what you need to win a playoff series. But I just, I don't see it against the Suns depth. They have their own star power. Um, and they've just historically matched up with Dallas really well. I think in terms of Memphis, I think that's a kind of a fiery, feisty team there. Um, they remind me a lot of the Suns last year. Um, you know, a team that was fun, that everybody liked watching, that was younger, um, and that nobody really took seriously until it was time to take them serious. So as much as I want to say that, you know, their lack of deep playoff experience would hurt them if they were to match up with the Suns in the Western Conference Finals, I don't know that to be fact because we just saw a team with, you know, four of its top six players go to the finals despite those guys never having been in a playoff game before. Um, so I'm not going to write off the Grizzlies, but I do think the Suns are going to remember getting beat by their C team a couple weeks before the playoffs started. And uh, I, like I said, this team is petty. They will use anything as fuel if they can. And I think a they, Chris Paul team petty. No way. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a shocker, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I, but I do think, I mean, I, I think we need to, um, I, and this is something I looked at the start of last year, which was, this is how I talked myself out of the Suns in the playoffs last year, is their level of experience entering the playoffs. I think the only team that had a comparable lack of experience to progress to the finals was uh, the 15-16 Warriors. Yeah. And no disrespect to last year's Suns, but dot dot dot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and so so I think that like like your 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 um skepticism of memphis is historically well founded i would say um another interesting link between the two teams this this way i think carries me into one of the last things i want to talk about is um there's actually sort of the 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 um sort of the the miniest the 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 mini the most mini chris paul uh (laughs) player in the league is tyus jones Mm -hmm. and this is this is and and I'll, i'll say this by leading into um Talking about you know this 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 is Suns team feels like the most Chris Paul team ever uh, because they're I believe uh, second in lowest turnover rate and second in the highest opponent turnover rate mm-hmm. uh, there or thereabouts um, now and if you look at you know some of the metrics we have to see like play individual player impact on turnover rates there's no player who is has been over his career consistently suppressed his own team's turnovers and increased the opposition's turnovers other than Chris Paul. The only like person who's sort of even close if you were to scatter plot it is Tyus Jones. Um so that's just a, a random tidbit. But this but that like data point about the Suns just makes me like that's Chris Paul in a nutshell to me. It's just like control of the game. Um I so you know even though he's been out for five weeks, it does it feels like that he is 
he's passed a lot of knowledge onto this team. I like, frankly, I had him um, at the All Star break. I, I you know participate in Tim Bontemps straw poll. I had him second in the MVP ballot. Um, obviously. Oh really? Oh well, I mean, basically, if people are like, well, the stats that Jokic and Embiid are putting out, it's like, well, okay, add whatever Jalen Smith and Bismack Biombo did. Put that on Chris Chris Paul's stat line, and now <laughs> it looks a little closer to even, doesn't it? Yeah, um, but no, that, that that's a good point because this team, you know, there there's a lot to be said about the culture that Monty Williams and James Jones have implemented here, about the guys that they've brought in, um, just about the growth of the youngsters. But you know, obviously, we're not talking about the Suns as this juggernaut or even as a you know legitimate title contender without that Chris Paul trade, without him wanting to come here and without him kind of, you know, putting his DNA on this team. Like this is like, they're very, they're fiery. They're, they're petty. They're the team that will try and get you on the rip through, not just Chris Paul, but like anybody, if they sense you're, you know, kind of reaching in the cookie jar there. Um, And, and like you said, like they are, very good about not turning the ball over, about creating deflections, steals, um, just being fundamentally sound on defense. Like this is the most Chris Paul team that I think I've seen in his career. Um, and obviously like being up close, it's easier to say that, but you know, like Chris Paul is fourth in steals this year, despite having missed five weeks. Like he's only, I think 18 behind the league leader. And that's after missing 15 games. Um, he's just been amazing. And obviously leading the league in assists at age 36 is impressive because, you know, we, we talk all the time about how gracefully LeBron has aged. Um, and a lot, not a lot, not all of that is athleticism, but like he has a, a big advantage. 6'8", is a good place to start if <laughs> yes. one's, one's going to age well. Yeah, and he's just, he's like a cyborg. Like, I mean, I know he's been more banged up this season, but when he does play, he still looks like he's 25. Chris Paul, you know, six foot nothing, a guy who's coming off wrist surgery in the off season, coming off an avulsion fracture in his thumb for five weeks, just a couple weeks ago. Like he's still out here getting to his spots. It's, it's <laughs> incredible what he's still doing at this age. And, and I think without his presence, you know, we don't see the leaps that a lot of these younger guys have made. Do you, when you're discussing Chris Paul and getting to his spot, you just naturally kind of lean slowly over to your right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my, like that's never not going to be in my mind's eye. Um, so I want to I want to talk about that injury uh, before before we wrap here because, um, especially given how well Phoenix like weathered that, um, I, one, I it's not too hard to make an argument that was a that was a benefit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there's one one issue that's kind of plagued him throughout his postseason career, I mean, him being Chris Paul, is is the tendency to wear down as the playoffs progress. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, coming in, having gotten you know six weeks off, um, doesn't doesn't seem like the like doesn't seem like the worst recipe uh, for having a lot in the tank, you know, with with the playoffs coming up. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, silver lining, blessing in disguise, whatever phrase you want to call it. That's what the Suns use to describe him having to miss some time. You know, obviously there was concern when the injury was first announced with a six to eight week timetable that was going to put him right up against the start of the playoffs. And it's like, okay, 
Is he still going to be Chris Paul after, you know, a month and a half, two months off? Is he going to have time to have a couple of regular season games under his belt to get that rhythm back, shake some of the rust off? Um, you know, is the team, because a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, okay, they got a major piece back. Like everything's going to go back to the way it was like, no teams adjust when major pieces are out, guys step up into different roles um, and it can be tricky to kind of adjust back on the fly, especially when games matter, like in a playoff scenario. But by getting him back at the five-week mark, you know, he got plenty of rest. He was able to still keep his conditioning up because it was a hand injury. And then, you know, he's able to get rest and not have to put that extra mileage on his body. Um, and I think last year, a lot of the injuries he got were freak of nature, flukish type deals. Like, I feel bad for the guy because... You know, more than we normally feel bad for Chris Paul because it was game one of the playoffs where he suffers that shoulder sting against the Lakers and couldn't dribble with his dominant hand for the rest of the series, basically. Um, and then he has COVID, misses two games, or he's in health and safety protocols, misses two games in the Western Conference Finals. Um, it, it just, and this injury was kind of the same deal. He like hit his hand against a Rockets player and that's what broke it. So it's kind of nice that he gets this grace period to work his way back, um, you know, and now he has time before the playoffs start to shake the rust off. Same thing with Cam Johnson. Like, that's huge for them because they just need to get through a deep playoff run, and we, we've seen Paul's body break down so many times. It would be nice for him to finally get over that hump and, and for this franchise that's never won a title in 50-plus years, the longest active you know, tenure for a team in one location in the NBA to not win a title, it would be a pretty storybook ending for both parties involved if he could just stay healthy. That's a, that, that, I did not realize that. That's a, that's a pretty tremendous stat. Especially, I mean, they, I mean, there's a, up until kind of the lean years of the last, you know, uh, pre-Ricky Rubio, basically, that's been a pretty good team basically continuously. Mm-hmm. Like, since since the eighties, so that's 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 kind of surprising, and all, for, frankly, uh, you know, especially in some of the, the Nash years, um, fairly snake bit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, those. I mean, they. I think they had they had a legit claim of being the best team in the NBA for about each of about four straight years, and then random thing just happened. Um, but it does, and it does sort of, you know, again, this is, this is a weird statement for me to make, but you talk like, you know, Chris, oh, he's he's ready three weeks before the playoffs. I have plenty of time to ramp back up. Cam Johnson's back. No one else has, has gotten hurt. They, they, you know, added even, they were able to pick up even another big wing at the trade deadline uh, in, in Torrey Craig. Um, it does seem like, it does seem like everything's kind of coming up millhouse for them. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Like the last couple of games have been pretty ugly. Even the Warriors game that they played against. Uh... That, that's been the most normal. This like that, That's the most normal thing that's happened this season. Yeah. It feels like is, is the best team in the league just having a couple, eh, whatever. It's yeah. Like, right, you know, during the NCAA tournament. Like, that's we're, we're, that, that's how I'm used to seeing, like, March NBA basketball. Um, the oh, play, yeah. The, the play-in has completely, has completely discombobulated that, but the Suns are so far ahead of everyone that they're, <laughs> they're, <laughs> that they're doing the thing that, that teams normally do. Yeah, and that's the funny thing is it, it speaks volumes about the kind of night-in, night-out, effort that this team brings to the table that two games that are meaningless to the Suns at this point have, you know, half the fan base panicking, like, oh, they're limping into the playoffs or like, oh, should we be worried? 
Like, no, like, please stop. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Like, limping into the playoffs, unless you're literally limping in with injuries is not a thing. Right. Like they, <laughs> I, I think people undersell the idea that not since 1992 has a team locked up the top record in the NBA with eight games or more remaining. And that was a pretty good bulls team. If I remember correctly. So straddling that line between staying sharp, but also resting guys and like, they don't, they don't care. Like they just want to get to the playoffs already. <laughs> but there, I mean, it does seem like if there's one, like, and, and Dave before my, my podcast partner on nerd, she wrote, uh, likes to describe them as chopping wood. And that, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's as good as any, as good as any description I can think of for how the Suns approach things. Um, yeah. Before I get, before I let you get out of here, uh, any, anything else that we haven't talked about? I, this is, this is weird because, uh, I don't think either of us have anything bad to say about the Suns, which maybe doesn't make for the most interesting conversation. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, what, what haven't we talked about that you think deserves to be touched on? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 mean, I think we're, I mean, I, I think we do kind of take, uh, you mentioned it earlier in coach of the year. We do take Monty Williams for granted a little bit, I think. Yeah, just, where he where he sits on the like in the NBA coaching ranks, right? And and I think that's probably the biggest thing is a lot. You know, it's just weird because you with the Suns you give a lot of different guys so much credit, um, but it's almost like because they have this incredible you know coaching staff, this amazing GM who got them all this depth, these two star players. Um, these great defensive pieces, these different veterans, it kind of like diminishes all of their awards cases. And I think with Monty, that would be a huge mistake, especially because, you know, if you look back on this two-year stretch, and ever since the bubble, like the Suns' record over that stretch is absolutely absurd, even if you include the playoffs where they came up short. Like, it's by far and away better than anybody else's record And he is a huge part of turning that around both on and off the court. Like, I don't think he gets enough credit for the ingenuity and and the different wrinkles that he adds into the offense that, you know, have them top two in offensive rating and defensive rating this season. But just as a leader, as a guy who's gotten, you know, unanimous buy-in one through 17 on this roster, like guys want to come here and play. And that has never been like Phoenix has never been a free agency destination. If you had told me even like three or four years ago that Chris Paul would want to be traded to the Phoenix Suns, I would have laughed in your face because this franchise has been dysfunctional, miserable for the decade after Steve Nash left, save for one year, that Goran Dragic year. And just Which turned way- out to be kind of a poison pill. Yes, exactly, because <laughs> then they tried to build through the middle, and it just got even worse. But guys, you know, so many guys left here saying terrible things about Phoenix, about the culture, about ownership. Um, you know, they had more coaches than I, Harry I don't Potter. want to be here. Oh. Yeah, like, I, like they, they had more coaches than Harry Potter had defense against the dark arts professors. Like, it was just the turnover was insane. So I, I do think that there's – a major case for Monty Williams as coach of the year on and off the court. And I would really hate that if we look back on this dominant two year stretch where they had the league's third fastest turnaround in NBA history from worst team to best team and not have a coach of the year award, at least one for Monty after he got robbed last year. Like I I struggle to wrap my head around that possibility. (laughs) So I, 
You know what? The, you, you reminded me of of one thing I definitely wanted to ask you, and we'll, we'll close on this. Um, I've sort of maintained that not making the playoffs in the bubble mm-hmm. was the best thing that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Like going 8-0 through the bubble and not making the playoffs was the best thing that could have happened to them. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's a weird thing that happens, and this is, you know, we talked about, you know, like the sort of, Jokic's season should have ended, felt like it ended on a high last year because of that, that winning that Portland series. They had no business winning. Uh, but then, like, they get, oh, well, now we play this much better team and we get curb stomped. So there's kind of a, you know, sad trombone <laughs> about the end, like the, the end of Jokic's season. Phoenix didn't have that in the bubble. They went, they, they, like, a, a, a really high functioning 8 0. Um, and then, and then they, they, they come off that feeling good, having felt like they accomplished something, add Chris Paul and just go from there. Am mm-hmm. I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I think <laughs> I will say that one crazy take that has surfaced out here, and I'm honestly, it's crazy enough that I'm not 100% convinced that it wouldn't have happened, but <laughs> I, there is a belief out here that if the Suns had made the playoffs, they could have had what it took to beat the Lakers in that first round because they would have been up against the Lakers. I don't Calm want down. to. I Calm don't down. want to take it that far. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take it that far, Seth. But I do think they were playing better basketball than anybody. The Lakers kind of like, you know, coasted their way through that stretch. Is, is that is that uh, is that payback for all the all the nonsense about? <laughs> well, they got lucky that we got hurt last year. <laughs> BS that we had to hear. Like anyway. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Chris that's a, Paul couldn't raise his shooting arm over his head. Who got lucky in that? In it, never mind. We don't right? No, that's that's a good question. But no, I I think I think you're right. I think I don't know if the losing part is the best thing that happened to him. I just think being invited to the bubble was the best thing that happened to him. Because if you remember, I think they were the 21st out of the 22 teams record wise that got invited to the bubble. They could have very easily have been left out. Thank you, Zion. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you, Zion. And I, I think it's because that was a team that when the season ended, they felt like their season hadn't been going the way that they wanted it to. They had guys in and out of the lineup because of injury. They just they were a young team that wanted the chance to play together healthy and gel. And even without Kelly Oubre like, and Aaron Baines, too, they still had a chance for a lot of their younger pieces to get more time together. And just all of that practice time, the work ethic that they developed away from all the distractions, I think has bled into everything that's followed since then. Obviously, going 8-0 is a huge confidence booster. It's what put them on a lot of people's radars, especially like Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder had, I think he said, 13 teams that reached out to him in free agency, and he chose the Suns because Chris and Devin recruited him. Um, But... I, I do think just the opportunity to go to the bubble, to build on what they had been trying to build, like they had nothing to lose, but they more than anything just wanted the time to play somewhat healthy together. And I think, you know, when we saw Mikhail and Cam starting, it was a glimpse of the future and an indicator like, yeah, you're, we can move on from Ubre. We have the other wing that we need for the future right here already. And everything just kind of snowballed from there. For sure. So, yeah, um, I think that's a that's a that's a good spot to end. Um, why don't you uh, tell the people where where they can find your work and anything you're working on right now? 
Yeah. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Gerald Bourget. You can uh, check out, I'm the co-host of a podcast called PHNX Suns. We do, we have all sports coverage for all the sports teams out here in AZ. Um, but we're obviously on the Suns beat. And then you can read my work at gophnx.com. Um, next thing in the books is probably going to be trying to make a case for Mikael Bridges as Defensive Player of the Year, which is difficult because the stocks and all the other numbers don't quite point to him, but we're going to try our best. Well, very cool. Thank you for uh, thank you for, for coming on. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime during the playoffs as, uh, as, as things hopefully, for, for your sake, progress. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Seth. I, I appreciate that. I've always been a big fan, so it was nice to talk Suns with you. Cool. Thanks a lot. Uh, and thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, I am back tomorrow afternoon with uh, a very good friend of mine named Corey Jez, who's formerly uh, ran analytics for the Utah Jazz. But he's not going to talk about basketball. He's not going to talk about soccer, as he founded the analytics department at, at uh, FC Austin um, or Austin FC. Uh, he's coming on to talk uh, golf analytics. Uh, as, as that's a, a passion of his with the uh, Masters coming up this weekend. We'll probably sneak some hoops in too. But uh, join me tomorrow afternoon for that. And then on Wednesday, uh, we're talking Australian rules football. Um, so really just a smorgasbord this week. But uh, thanks for listening and talk to you all later.